Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 60-second episode. As a mental performance coach, I have the honor to work with athletes to enhance their mental game and give them the tools to unlock their full potential. The reason why I created 90% Mental is to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes and coaches so they can share their stories and perspectives on the mental game. So today I have Kim Foster Carlson, an award-winning broadcast journalist and the author of Good Enough, How to Overcome Fear of Failure and Perfectionism to Live Your Best Life. Kim shares personal stories in her book about experiences she went through as an athlete, a mom, and a broadcaster with regards to fear of failure and perfectionism. She talks about what motivated her to write this book and why it's so important to bring these topics to the forefront. So, without further ado, let's go talk to Kim. Hey, Kim, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me today. You bet. I'm excited uh, for many reasons to talk about the fear of failure and perfectionism, and which is basically the premise of the book that you just wrote. So I'm really excited to, to talk about these topics and talk about your journey as an author and, and why you wrote this book. So I'm really excited to have you on my show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I always start my show off by talking about mental toughness. And when you think about the fear of failure and perfectionism, those two things affect someone's mental toughness. So when you think about being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? For me, that means that you are not afraid to fail. Um, I see so many athletes that, that they are almost afraid to lose, but they don't, they're they're really afraid to win, you know, so to speak. So they they get into this mental loop of, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to do well. And then, I'm, you know, they sort of get that whole negative cycle going. So I think mental toughness um, means that you, you're like, failure's coming, and I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to move on. Right. And nobody, I, nobody does that better, I think, than Steph Curry, you know, from the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. His college coach, uh, Davidson, said the one thing that he knew that was going to make Steph Curry a success is that he was not afraid to fail. He would miss five shots in a row, you know, and then he had no less confidence that he'd make the next five, you know, um, and he, they feel that that that's the reason for his success is that he he's going to keep going no matter what, and failure's going to come, he's going to laugh it off, and he's going to shoot a shoot and make a half-court shot, you know. Absolutely. He's he's... <laughs> He's a good example for a lot of things when it comes to the mental game. Um, so that's that's a great example. You know, when you think about your book, which is called Good Enough, How to Overcome Fear of Failure and Perfectionism to Live Your Best Life. So when you think of your book, what was the motivation behind writing this book? Um, I was really for my millennial daughters. They were both athletes, Division One swimmers. Um, one swam at USC, one swam at UCLA. And I was a swimmer as well. And I I had fear of failure and perfectionism all the way through growing up. And I could see it in them as well, sort of this next generation coming along. And I was like, oh, no, no, I gotta, I have to stop this pattern. So I really wrote it um, to tell them all the things that helped me to overcome my fear of failure and perfectionism. And they've read it and it has resonated with them. But it was really you know, I had, they were the audience of two really was what, who I wanted to write this book for, but then it started to resonate with a lot of other 
athletes, former athletes, and uh, parents of athletes as well. So it sort of has snowballed from that. Yeah, and it's, it just seems like just the, the topic is so relevant in so many parts of our lives. Do you think that, you know, the demographic is even more wider than just athletes and parents? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I really, I, I was, I have a son too, and he has autism. And I think that threw me into this sort of perfectionistic that craze that I, I, I can cure him, I can make him better. I, you know, if I was just do everything perfectly, but that, you know, that didn't happen. And I ended up in a therapist chair and she said, you know, you can't think of things as, you know, all good or all bad. You have to think of things as good enough. And I was like, what, what is she talking about here? You know, <laughs> I was this type A division one athlete, you know, raising these athletes. And then I have this son with autism and she's like telling me, you know, just think of it as good enough. And I was like, okay, she goes, just try it for one week. I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. So I tried it for one week and slowly by surely it started to work. It's like, okay, I did the best I could do for my son today. I did the best I could do as a parent and as a journalist, you know, and, um, and I slowly learned that good enough is good enough. And that I was really, um, driving myself too hard. I was going 110%, which means you burn out quickly. You do better if you're going at 90% for a longer period of time. But I had to learn those things. And then I wrote them down for, for my kids to learn those things. Was it fair to say that when your therapist said good enough, did that resonate for you as far as when you're writing this book to, to title the book good enough? Yes, that very much so. And I mean, it really, really, really did help to talk to someone about this. Um, and I didn't realize it was a perfectionism, fear of failure thing. I thought I was just failing. I thought I was just a, a bad mom or a bad, you know, bad person. And she's like, no, 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 you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. And once I eased that pressure, I was happier. My kids were happier. I was thriving and everything came together. So um, I felt like I wanted to to share that with everyone um, and the steps to do it. Awesome. That's great. Well, before we get into the book, you know, I, I kind of want to talk a little about your role, um, you know, as a journalist. You've, you've been a journalist on the radio and TV for over 27 years. I can only imagine when you're doing interviews or reporting, there is this fear of failure that, that could probably come up a lot and also the perfectionism that would come up. How much of that did you experience, you know, being a, a journalist, and how did you overcome some of this stuff? Oh, yeah. I talk about it in the book. Um, I started out doing sports back, you know, when not that many women were doing sports, and I had a news director call me in, and he goes, you know, we want to hire you to do sports, but, you know, you're a woman, and people are going to look at you closer than they would a man, and so you can't make any mistakes. And I was like, what? Okay. So I just... Uh, you know, and it's live radio, stuff happens, you know, when you're on a podcast, <laughs> right. stuff happens. Right. <laughs> so I would beat myself up over these little tiny little things like, oh, I should have said what instead of where, or, you know, or so all those things. And I, and I was miserable where I was, you know, this was my dream job working in San Francisco Bay Area as a sports anchor, you know, as one of the first women sports anchors in the Bay Area on radio. And I was, and I was just beating myself up about, about it. You know, I was, reading at night, I was, I was going, okay, I can say Sharunas Marshallonis. I can say, you know, <laughs> Jose Maria Olafable. You know, I was like 
obsessed with like saying the names correctly. Right. And, um, and I knew, well, I knew everything about sports. I'd grown up with sports and, um, but so doing that, you know, learning to be good enough. And I had another news director though, who I loved. He was like, people love that stuff when you make mistakes or you laugh or the cart, you know, the cart machine doesn't work. He goes, that makes you a human. It's really fun. And I'm like, what? You know, cause I had come from this perfectionistic, you know, everything has to be perfect. Um, so you do the best you can. And, and when mistakes happen, they have, it's live radio. You know, right. we have stuff happens all the time right. and you just have to embrace, embrace it and move on. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you talk about this in your book as well. You say, you know, embracing failure as a tool and welcoming challenges that take you out of your comfort zone is a good thing. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, that's when I talk about Steph Curry, too, because he, you know, he's he's not afraid to fail, and he plays with a sense of joy. He plays with a sense of purpose. I mean, anybody that watches him, you know, he stays in the moment. His whole life revolves around staying in the moment, playing with joy, and not being afraid to fail. And I think um, when you're afraid to fail and you have perfectionism, like, oh, I can't make a mistake, you sort of have this um, side effect of procrastination. And I had that too. It was like, oh, I'm not going to be good at that. I'm not going to try this. You know, I was a swimmer. You try to put me on land. I was like, oh, I can't do triathlons. And my husband's like, yeah, you can. I mean, I was really bad at the running, but I was pretty good at the swimming and the biking. But um, I think it takes people out of the game a lot of times because of this procrastination side of this, of being afraid to fail at something. Right. For sure. You know, and when I work with athletes, it's, it's funny when we start talking about failure, because when you, when you think about success, the line under the word success, there is a list of failures and you can look at Michael Jordan and Kobe, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, the greats, and even though they've done things really, really beautiful, and they, they've mastered what they've done, but they've had to fail so much. So I, I always I'll work with athletes. I'm like, listen, failing's cool if you actually can look at failing in a different perspective. And, and, I, and I love this quote from Nelson Mandela. He always says, or he has this quote, and he says, I only win and learn. I never fail. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, that's pretty profound. Yeah, Steve Jobs made a couple bad iPhones before he got one right, you know. Right. Um, it's the people that really don't give up. And I think even Michael Jordan said he attributes all his failures to his success. Yeah, for sure. I, I was watching, this is actually really funny, I was watching Dave Chappelle. One time he was doing a stand-up, and he was talking about his life and things that he was going through, his trials and tribulations and his failures, and he just, he kind of paused and took a deep breath and said, failure is informative. And I was like, whoa, like that, like, how beautiful is that? Yeah, and it, and it sometimes gives you more information than you would if you would have succeeded. So the, it actually can give you more success. It sounds strange, but the, you know, the failure can lead you to better success. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that. You know, when you think about fear, do you think there's good fear or bad fear? Yeah, I think there's both. I mean, you know, um, there's this healthy fear of nervousness and anticipation. But I think when you get too fearful, you take yourself out of the game. You, I mean, and I think I did that. I procrastinated. I, 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 I you know, I basically shut myself away to, you know, when I was, my son was 
has autism and I was trying to deal with that, that I wasn't going to let anyone help me. I was going to be all, all alone in this. And what I realized is that it takes a village and you need a village to help you. Right. So I think um, if you're afraid, you don't ask for help, you know, you, you stay in your little bubble um, and you, you know, and, and perfectionism and fear of failure doesn't mean that you, you know, you sit on the couch all day and do nothing. I mean, it's not like good enough isn't not doing anything. It's still trying your best and trying to achieve things, but it's also watching and learning. You win, you learn, you lose, you learn. So really paying attention to, and almost embracing, I want to try this and I may fail, but I'm going to try it, you know, and, and give it a try. But when you're afraid, no, you don't try. Right. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's funny because fear is so it's so broad, and there's so many different uh, types of fear. And I and I personally think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we as individuals, we're the ones that create the fear, and we're we're the they're the owners of it. Um, and there's so many ways of overcoming fear. There's some people that say just lean into it, run at the fear, which I get it, and that's what I do. But sometimes fear can be so big that it's very hard for someone to run at it, you know, and embrace it. So when you think about different ways to overcome fear, what are some of the ways, different ways that you talk about in your book to overcome fear? Uh, well, the first one is, is stay in the moment. I mean, in that, that really is hard to do. I mean, you're, you're thinking of, you're thinking of what happened yesterday, what happened last week, what's going to happen in the future. But if you can, train your, it's almost mind training, mind hacking, so to speak, to keep yourself in that present moment, because there's no fear or anxiety in the present moment. You know, um, if you think of it as you're driving a car and the headlights are on and it's real foggy and you can only see, you know, just a little bit ahead of you. Uh, And if you focus on just that, what's right in front of you, it really takes away the fear and anxiety of the future or the depression of the past of, Oh, this didn't happen, so to speak. But if you can radically stay in the moment and it's hard to do, it's almost like, you know, exercise every day, you got to exercise your brain to try to stay in the moment. But I've really felt that that has has, um, made me overcome the fear of failure and perfectionism. Yeah, and you talk about this too about feeling joy in the present moment, which you know I want to touch on this because, you know, throughout my whole life I've been in sales and I've talked to, you know, individual customers. I've talked to fifteen, twenty people in a room, and I always felt really, really comfortable doing that. And then certain things happened in my life that kind of pulled away from my confidence. And one time I was doing a, a workshop with my mentor. And he, you know, he comes up to me, he's, how you feeling? I'm, like, I'm feeling a little nervous. I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, man, I feel joyful. I mean, I feel, I'm blissed out right now. And I'm looking at him like, where are you getting this from? He goes, man, I'm just, I'm present to this moment right now, man. He's like, he, like, he walked me through this breathing exercise real quick. And he goes, man, doesn't feel good. He's like, listen, this is a joyful experience. It's not a scary experience unless you want it to be. But he goes, those people in there that we're going to talk to, they want to listen to you and you're going to feel joyful right now and I'm like wow like this is a shift for me I was like oh I didn't know that was an opportunity you know I didn't know that was an option (laughs) you know this was years ago but I was like wow how cool is that and it's a conscious shift 
Yeah. So you're actively trying to do that. Yeah. You can't all of a sudden, I just want to be happy and somehow unconsciously be happy, you know? So you really have to, um, try to do this every day, even with small, you know, they say, start with small things. Like, you know, I'm I'm sitting here with this cup of coffee and I'm just going to sit and enjoy the coffee. I'm not going to think about all the things I got to do, you know? And, um, and if you do that moment to moment, you end up at the end of the day going, gosh, I lived in a, I lived joy, my whole, and, you know, happiness my whole day. I mean, it's not like la la la, no. you know, greatest happiness of, of all, but you really train your brain to, um, to live in that moment, to stay in a p- place of joy and, um, to just have fun, you know, and I think I always come back to Steph Curry because I see that in him, you know, he had, he, he's like a kid out there. He's 30 years old and he's just having a ball, you know, and he's, and it's, and it's worked for him. Right. For sure. Yeah. And you talk about, um, gratitude and being grateful, which I think is, is awesome because I think there's, you know, if you want to make a shift in your life to be more positive, you want to see things from a positive perspective or a positive angle, then practice gratitude. Start, you know, being grateful for all the little things in life. So you talk about that being a stepping stone to happiness. Can you elaborate that a little bit more, you know, within your book? Yeah, that was exactly. So if you could stay in the moment and then uh, stay in a state of gratitude, um, then then you've got all the tools in your box that you need to to be successful and not you know how and overcome fear of failure and perfectionism. So and I everybody's like oh you got to write a journal you got to write it down. And I was like yeah 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 I write for a living I don't I don't want to do that you know. But I radically said okay I'm going to put the book right next to me I'm going to write three things that I'm grateful for in the morning and one person I can thank that day um, you know for for anything like thank you for for we are, you know, uh, giving me my coffee this morning or thank you dogs for loving me or whatever. I don't know. Small things, you know, and some days you're just in a bad mood and you're like, I'm just grateful. I woke up today, but, um, you know, you write three <laughs> things that, it, and it really does make a difference. It sort of gets you out of that negative loop. You know, you can get into that sort of, I call it the reptilian brain where you're just like, you know, you can't think at a higher level. You're just thinking, I got to get to work. I got to do this. I got 18,000 things to do. But if you stop and say, you know, I'm just grateful for my house and for my husband and for my puppy dogs and my kids and, you know, the, you know, anything, it can be anything, but it really sort of snaps you out of that reptilian brain and gets you into a higher level of thinking. Yeah, no, I love that for sure. You know, I'm going to, shift gears a little bit on maybe some other things that affect uh, fear or the fear of failure. And I think it's, you know, this topic is really, it's it's real in all of society, but also in sports, because I see it affect athletes all the time. But in today's society, how much does, from your perspective, how much does social media affect or feed into fear? Oh, I think it does quite a bit. I mean, I, I think that has sort of fueled the perfectionism because, oh, you have to look perfect. You have to be at the perfect place. You have to have the, you know, I, I, I was in Hawaii and Kauai and we're in this beautiful Canyon. It looks like the grand Canyon and everybody's taking selfies, you know, turned around. I'm like, okay, you guys aren't even looking at this gorgeous land out here, you know? And um, I sort of think the phone and social media sort of taken us away from 
<clears throat> from the moment and trying to enjoy being in the moment um, is putting that phone, you know, away. Um, but when we talk about good enough, so um, I have a chapter in the book about my daughter, Casey. She's a, um, a swimmer and she swam at USC and she went to the world championships in 2009. She was 17 before she went to college and she barely made, she, there were two people. So she barely made, she goes, mom, I just want to, I just want to go. I want to go to Rome. I don't care what happens. I just want to go to Rome. And she ended up getting second place. So she got a trip to Rome. And then she's like, I don't know, mom, what would be good enough? I think if I just make finals, that would be really fun. You know? So she swam the prelims and the semis and she ended up eight. So she made the final. Right. So she's like, and she's in the moment with joy, so happy to be there, you know, and, and, um, and she goes, mom, what does it take to get to a medal? And I go, Oh, I don't know. I go, just have fun. And she goes, I'd really like a, a medal. That'd be fun. And she ends up out of lane one getting third. And so she got a bronze medal at the world championships by using all these tools of, I was good enough to go to get to the team. I was just good enough to make the finals and I was just good enough to get third place. And she calls me, she's like, I've never been so happy to get third place in my life. You know, and here's <laughs> someone who was succeeded in swimming and I don't think she ever lost a race when she was younger, but I, you know, so excited to get third place, you know? And so she took that on to college with her and, um, and ended up doing really well because of that, because of, you know, the, the attitude she had towards right. it. No, it's the mindset is is great, and I think it's just the way that she approached it. Um, I think a lot of times when what holds back an athlete is that they feel the weight of trying to be perfect, trying to make it look a certain way, and and they get caught up in in the future. So we call that pre living. Yeah, what if this? What if that? And it's like that's that's out of your control. Let's focus on now, and let's focus on you know I'm in control of the way I. You know, attitude's a decision. So I'm in control of what I want to feel like and be like right now in this moment. And and it seems like that your your daughter adopted that that mindset. Yeah, attitude is a decision. I really like that. Um, and, and she did. She used it all the way through. And there was times in college where you're you know you're studying and there you're swimming twice a day and all kinds of stuff happening. And um, she said that. I said, Casey, well, why did you start swimming? And she, she's like, oh, I loved it. I just love the rec swimming where we just would eat candy and play with our friends and, and wear funny hats and dress up. And I go, well, that's what college is. It's just on a bigger level, you know? Oh, right. <laughs> and once she sort of could get herself, so where did you find joy? Well, I found joy, you know, when I was seven years old swimming, you know, in the county meet or whatever. Um, I said, just get back to that get back to that mindset and she did she goes mom you're right and i started telling everybody it's just like we're in rec swimming but a little bit bigger stage <laughs> <laughs> right as she's standing next to missy franklin you know in the dual meet against cal and um she's like i think i'm gonna beat her today and she did you know in the dual meet she didn't beat her at ncaa's but um but she had a really good attitude about it and i and the girls that were just so uptight and so stressed about it you could see that they just didn't perform as well be, and beat themselves up if they you know uh they didn't improve their time you know and time is so you know when you're in an individual sport it can vary you know and in running or swimming or anything like that it's just it's minute 
you know, milliseconds. So you kind of have to, if you can get yourself out of that mindset and into the joy, fun, and I'm going to eat candy when I'm done, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it it really worked out great for, for her. You know, I I love that you brought up um, environment. I think a lot of times when athletes, when they, you know, they're practicing their craft every day, every week, every month, they know they know nothing's changed, right? Nothing's changed with the environment. The the pool's the same length. There's nothing that's you know different, but they make it different because they put the meaning and they let fear in. There's all these other variables that come in, and and I bring this up because there's a movie, and I'm sure you might have um, seen this in the past, but um, it's called Hoosiers, and it's about the University of Indiana and. Um, Gene Hackman was the coach, and it was funny in the movie. In the movie, they were they were. There was the first time they, if I can remember this right, it was the first time that the team was going to the tournament, and they they were playing in gyms that were like normal gyms. Well, this gym that they were going to play in for the first time was like, whoa, this is like a big stage, like what you were talking about earlier. And so when they show this in the movie, like Gene Hackman sees the team, like they walk into the the auditorium, the gym, and they, he sees the awe of his players going, whoa. And he, he started to like see a little bit of fear. And so basically he got one of his coaches and says, hey, coach, can you, can you go up there and, and get a ladder and, and check the height of the basket? So he goes up there and he gets a ruler and checks the, you know, the height of it. And he goes, oh, it's this, you know, whatever it is, nine feet, 10 feet. And he goes, well, how big's the rim? And he, you know, does the width of the rim. He goes, nothing's changed. And he looks at his team and he goes, hey, there's nothing different about this environment. And he says it in a way where you're like, it's so true what happens to like humans. We we make meaning out of everything. The Super Bowl, the football, this football game is mm-hmm. nothing's changed about it, but we make this meaning. And so when the meaning gets so big that it can cripple us and the fear of the fear of looking good versus the fear of looking bad, it, it, it could really affect how we move within that, in that situation or opportunity. Oh yeah. I've seen it at the Olympic trials. I mean, they build this pool just for the Olympic trials. They hold it in Omaha, Nebraska, and they put like 25,000 people. So you're used to swim meets with maybe 20 people, you know, not that many people. And you go in this thing and then they're like, it's like in a stadium, you know, it's like at an indoor, it's like at the Coliseum arena, they'd put a pool in there, you know? And, um, and the the athletes that handled it the best were like, it's just another swim meet, same pool, pool's the same length, just another swim meet, you know. And here you are, you know, Michael Phelps, and and then NBC Television is there. I mean, it can be overwhelming. Um, and my daughter was 16 when she first went, and I and she was a little bit overwhelmed um, with the whole the whole thing. But um, once she went back again, she was like, ah, oh, this is nothing, you know. This is I've done this before i've seen this before right um but it, yeah but i think you really have to uh especially in a you know even if you're in a meeting and you're going to talk in front of people you have to sort of do that same thing it's like okay i gotta stay in the moment i gotta not think about if all these people are looking at me you know this is just another meeting i've talked at meetings before um so i mean i think it's almost like a self-talk my i call it a mind hack where you, you know, you stop right there and you, and you hack into your brain and say, okay, I'm going to stay in the moment. I'm going to play with joy. I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to have fun. Right. Go. <laughs> right. 
No, and I, and I think it's great. I, you know, one um, one technique that I use is it's called the win mindset. You know, what's important now. I think if you can get, you know, if you can drop into your breath and get really present, you can get in a position where you're in control again and you, what's important now. And if you, if you figure out what's important now and you act on it, then I don't, I don't care what the result is. I don't care what the scoreboard says you're winning. So, you know, being, I think the first part of dealing with, you know, fear of failure and dealing with perfectionism is to really get into the present, get into your breath, which is, I'm, you know, your book has stated that multiple times. Yeah, meditation um, is key, I think. And uh, we started this like in the 1970s. It was visualization. Oh, yeah. So we would, you know, we would lie down and and we would go through our races um, and you'd look up at the scoreboard and you'd see your time and then you'd go to a meet and you'd do that exact time. So it's sort of, uh, you know, predicting your success by by living it and being in, being in it, you know, like mm. seeing yourself at the Olympics, seeing yourself you know, on the podium at the world championships, you know, seeing yourself at the Super Bowl, seeing yourself, you know, leading that sales meeting. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised how much we did back in the day. It was just starting out, but I still use that all, a lot of the times when I'm like, oh, I don't want to go and wake up at 3 a.m. and be on the air at 5 a.m. and be like, good morning, Bay Area, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm tired, you know. So I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to, pretend that I'm driving to work, pretend that I get there, I see my co-anchor who I love and we just have fun and it's going to be really, you know, I once and I, and I, I already seen it in my head and then I just go to work and, and do it, you know. I love it that you brought up visualization because when I'm, when I'm working with athletes, I don't, I, I don't, I try to, you know, a hundred percent stay away from perfectionism. And the only thing that I ever tell them to be perfect at is when they visualize their performance. That's the only time I want you to be perfect. I go, anything outside of that, I don't want you to be perfect. But if you can see mm -hmm. yourself doing perfect things, you're just training your unconscious mind to, you know, to, to strive for perfection. Not to be perfect, but to strive for it. And I think, you know, that's my next question, because I think a lot of people, when they look at striving per to perfection versus being perfect, they're two different things. And, and what's your thought on striving for perfection? I think that's a good thing, um, but I think you can, everyone's human. I mean, and I think if you, everything at that moment has to be perfect um, and there's no human element, you know, like your goggles break or, you know, um, you know, I don't know, something else happens to where you trip and fall, you're in a race or, or you, you drink a glass of water at your meeting and all of a sudden you start choking or something, you know, there's things <laughs> right. that are out of your control. I guess the things that are out of your control. So control the things you can and then let go of the things that you can't control. And, um, and I think that's how you can do that. And, it, and it's like fear of failure and perfectionism, like I said, doesn't mean that you don't, you're not in the game. You're not trying, you're trying, trying your best. You know, sort of try your best, forget the rest, they say. Um, if you know on that any given day that you gave it your best shot, then that's good enough. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, he's a doctor, but he's actually one of the sports psychologists that was the one of the pioneers that, that got mental performance or sports psychology into Major League Baseball. Uh, his name is Harvey Dorfman, and he actually... He actually did a lot of work with the Oakland A's um, in the, I believe, the 80s, 70s and 80s. 
Mm-hmm. But he he is he spent he spent a lot of time on his his work and his research on perfectionism, and there's a book that I was reading which is really funny because um, my my show is called Ninety Percent Mental and the book is called Ninety Percent Mental. It's um, Bob Tewksbury, which is the San Francisco Giants mental performance coach. He wrote this book, and he put a lot of sightings of of Harvey in his book and. One of the chapters was about perfectionism, and so the, there's a there's a story that captures Harvey talking to an athlete, and he's talking to this athlete about being perfect, and he says, "Who do you know who is perfect? Like who's perfect in your life?" And the athlete goes, "Well, no one." And he goes, well, "What makes you think you're going to be the first one?" <laughs> That's great, <laughs> right? I always I always quote Pete Carroll because I love Pete Carroll to begin with. He's great. Um, but but he has um, Win Forever. Yeah, his yep. book, and and they do a lot of those things with the Seattle Seahawks, and it worked. You know, they play with joy, they play music, and you know, football coaches, as you probably know, are not the most positive people. I mean, a lot of them are. You know, um, you guys all suck, and you know all that right. stuff. There's but he found that he got right. He got a lot more out of being positive with his players and not being negative. So it was always good job, you know, and he'd always have um, sort of this positive attitude, play with joy. He'd play music. They do all kinds of yoga, all kinds of cool stuff. And um, I think this first season they didn't do too well, but then in 2014 they, they won, you know, um, the Super Bowl, and, um he one of his devotees is Steve Kerr, who coaches the Warriors. And before Steve Kerr started as a Warriors coach, he went up and worked with Pete Carroll on a bunch of different things that he incorporated into the Warriors. Mm. And now you see, you know, that what that has done. So I think athletes and people um, need positive feedback as well as negative feedback. But I think when you play in that relaxed and not in that reptilian brain because that's what Pete Carroll says if you're if my athletes are relaxed and they're happy and they're on the field they're going to do better than if they're nervous afraid of failure the coach is going to yell at them um so I really I really believe in what Pete Carroll has done has helped the Warriors too with with Steve Kerr absolutely and I, I agree with it and there's you know unfortunately and it's I see it a lot in football and you can, you can see it in in many other sports but there is a style of coaching by fear and it works for some people, but I just, I know that I, I see more results when someone's more positive than, than being negative or operating from that state. So I, I, I'm with you on Pete Carroll. I think he's, um, he's one of my favorites just as a person outside of a coach. He's just a, he's just a real down to earth and talking about someone who's present. I mean, he just seems like every time he's talking to you or, He's on an interview. He's just totally dialed in into that person as being very present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, that was one of my first books I, I read about coaching and, um, and to, uh, Tony Dungy's books as well. Yep. Uh, but these guys got, they have something going and they, and I think in this day and age with you have athletes that are, have grown up with social media and they, you know, everybody gets a trophy and they're, I, I wouldn't say they're a little, you know, less um, tough than we were growing up. But I also think that this whole movement towards um, mental performance and uh, positive psychology 
will will help this next generation of athletes more than the way we were taught, which was, you know, get oh. in the water and swim yep. 20,000 yards <laughs> right. and don't cry. <laughs> yeah, you can't have water, <laughs> right? No water breaks. Uh, exactly. No, I agree with you on that. I think uh, that's that's one thing I love about my job and love about just kind of where we're at in this field as of today is there's just so much exposure, more buy-in into mental performance. And and I agree with you. I think the, this, this new wave of generation and the next generations after are going to benefit from from this consciousness of, of practice. So I do want to switch gears a little bit into the book as far as just um, as, a, as the author and some of the things that you actually went through writing this. So when you think about these two broad topics, fear and perfectionism, how difficult was it collecting and selecting all this, these stories and situations to use in the book? Oh, it wasn't difficult at all. There's a lot of information out there. Um, in my book, I talked. Uh, I I saw that this cl- this school, Smith College, has a class on failure for all of its incoming freshmen, and they it's required. They have to take it, and they have to fail at something because the school was seeing an overwhelming number of students coming in who were you know very high achieving all A's, and they get an A minus in something, and they'd be like, I'm out, I'm done, I'm leaving school. That was it. You know, right. it's like this all or nothing, so to speak. And so the, this class, they say, has um, has reduced the amount of time that the uh, the athletes and non-athletes are, are having counseling. Everyone seems a lot happier. Um, and, you know, and it can be anything, but they have, they have the whole semester on failure and learning everything they can about failure and how that leads to your success. And then they actually have to fail try a bunch of different things and fail at a bunch of different things mm. and, and learn from that. You know, you win, you learn, you, you lose, you learn. So, um, but I really, I was surprised at how much um, research and information there was about, about this fear of failure and perfectionism and how many people suffer from it. And it's like, Oh, I just, if I could help two people and, you know, an athlete and a parent of an athlete and, you know, a business person, that would be, that would be great. I just felt like, I overcame it and I'm so much happier and more productive. Um, hopefully this will help other people do that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. And I think, you know, there's another book too called The Fearless Mind by Dr. Manning. He he talk, he's, I think he's out of BYU and he, he talks about, he's done a lot of research on, on failure and, or the fear of failing. And it's funny, like when you think about, the question, because I've asked this this with my athletes, I'm like, so what is it? Is, what's the difference from failing and being a failure? And it's really the perspective. It's like it depends on what lens you look through, right? Some of these kids are like, I'd rather be failing than being called a failure. And well, what does that mean? So it's a lot of it too. Mm-hmm. Is like, what's their relationship with with fear, right? Well, a lot of it is what they grew up with. You know, yeah. I. Both my parents were firstborns. I was a firstborn. My dad was an Air Force pilot, um, and they were very much into succeeding at school. And I'd come home with six A's and a B plus, and my mother would be like, well, why isn't that B plus an A? She's from England and, and grew up during the war and came to the United States, and she she just pushed us. But I think, you know, a little bit too much sometimes, but not, you know, it was it was it was good in some ways, but I think it 
she was a perfectionist. So that sort of seeded it in me. And then I saw it in my kids and I was like, uh Oh, you know, <laughs> and there's, and there's a difference between high achieving and achieving your you know goals and, and being a type A personality. And then the paralyzing fear of failure and the procrastination. Like I'm not, I'm not going to try this. Nope. Nope. I'm out. You know, yeah. I'm, this is not going to, you know, and, and it takes you out of the game, takes you out of life. So um, I'm hoping that this book helps some people get back into their lives. <laughs> 100%. What was the one thing that you enjoyed about writing the book? And what was that one thing that was the hardest thing about writing this book? Oh, that's a good question. You, you're a journalist, I can tell. You get some <laughs> good questions in you. Um, the, the fun part was writing about my daughter, Casey, because I, you know, you can't just walk around and tell people, my daughter won a bronze medal in the world championship, and this is how she did it. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I was able to sort of relive it again and how joyful it was and how joyful she was and, um, you know, how, how you really can be okay with good enough. You know, she was just good enough. I mean, there was a, you know, the woman from the United States, uh, Rebecca Sony, went on to the Olympics. She was the, she was the one who won the race. But Casey didn't see it as, oh, I lost to Rebecca Sony. She saw I um, I won a bronze medal at the World Championships. So I reliving that and rewriting it brought it all back up for me again to see how much she um, she does still does plays you know it stays in the moment and plays with joy. She works for the Raiders now, and she just loves it. She gets she's like game day. I mean, it's like she's like on a team again and you know they're not doing so well but <laughs> but she's uh she's happy um the hardest part i think is editing it you know you, you and and making it make make sense you know i sort of think of it as like it's 20 blogs and i sort of put them all together right um into one book um and I write really conversationally because of broadcasting. And so there's a little bit of getting back to print versus broadcast. But it, if you read it, it's very broadcast written, you know, it's very uh, conversational, I guess. Got it. So I guess that's the hardest part is the actual writing and editing. Got it. Got it. Well, one more question here before we close up. When you reflect your whole career as an athlete, as a journalist, and also even just your whole experience writing this book. What do you think you've learned about yourself the most? Um, I think I've learned that I'm good enough, you know, that I, that I had really paralyzing fears and I overcame them. And the fears taught me to where I am today and the place I am today. Um, you know, I've been um, behind the microphone of some major news stories, earthquakes, fires, you know, um, flooding, all kinds of things. Um, and I've used all the tools, I think, that have gotten me over this to be an effective broadcaster, an effective mother, uh, wife, friend. And, and I, I really think that, it, that it's made all the difference in my life. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and how, do, how do my listeners buy your book and follow you on social media? Oh, okay. Um, I'm on Amazon uh, and Barnes and Nobles, wherever you buy your books. It's it's good enough. Kim Foster Carlson. Um, and then the subtitle is How to Overcome Fear of Failure and Perfectionism to Live Your Best Life. Um, I have a website, kimfostercarlson.com, and a good enough Facebook page. And we talk a lot about different uh, topics on there. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a labor of love, and it's been great to um, to share it with you today. Beautiful. Well, I I love talking about these topics. I think your your book is great, and I love it that you you felt compelled to write this because I think there's going to be a lot of people that it's just going to resonate with them, and I think this is just going to resonate with all different types of people, whether if they're an athlete or a corporate citizen or a parent. I think this book is going to reach out to many different people and help them. So again, thank you for being on, on my show and sharing your energy and, and looking forward to uh, seeing your success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. 